I'm going to get to enjoy my bed hair, so. <laughs> and Father, we thank you that you've decided to come and meet in this place with us today. We thank you that you sent your son to come to earth to take on flesh, to be with us, to be like us, to show us what it is to image you, to be loved with flesh on, Lord. We thank you for that. God, I thank you for this body of people, Lord, who is here, who are the tapestry of Jesus, the expression of love in this place, Lord. And I thank you for all of the miracles that you've worked through this tiny body of people in this place. God, and how you showed up in such powerful and miraculous ways, Lord. God, I thank you for all of the healings and the blessings, Lord, and even all of the hard times, Lord, that come through here that cause us to trust in you in ways that we never would. And Father, today I just ask that the Holy Spirit would fill all of us up beyond the measure that we need to worship you, to praise you today, to be remembering all of the things that you're doing for us, that you've done for us, and that you're going to do for us. Thank you for your word. Make it alive to us today. Thank you for everyone serving here this morning that makes this opportunity possible, Lord. And God, we just want to, we want to glorify you and all the things that we do today. Pray with me, please. Our Father, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Woo! <laughs> morning everyone morning. welcome to the fourth sunday of the season of epiphany which is the season that we focus on and celebrate what it looks like when the light of god came into the world as a human one of us with a family with friends with struggles with trials what does god's like light look like made flesh i mean our readings today we're going to hear a lot about um God's power and God's authority and about knowledge and we see what authority looks like in how Jesus uses it and how people recognize it in him and it's not how we tend to identify authority in human relationships in our twisted upside down world way of thinking and our epistle reading this morning goes through um, Paul trying to help this church deal with the same sort of issues. He's talking about how we use the knowledge that we've been given by God. Um, he says that, you know, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now, I don't want to say that knowledge and love are incompatible. <laughs> I don't believe they are. As someone who has worked as a teacher and works at a library, I'm highly invested in knowledge and the sharing of knowledge and people having knowledge. I think many of us in this room feel the same. And it can be a great gift that can be used to make us more open, more humble, more empathetic, and more loving and more wise in how we love and the ways that we help people. But it can also make us conceited. It can make us hard-headed. It can make us close off 
to other people. And there are different kinds of knowledge. There's book learning, which is my specialty. There's experiential knowledge. There's knowledge from years of walking with God and revelation of the spirit of being taught and experienced. There's the experience that a lot of our people have of going through hard times, of having to live without a social safety net, of having to live in danger, that that is a specialized kind of knowledge. And all of those things can either be used to build up in love, or they can be used to tear other people down. And what we see in Jesus is all knowledge and all authority and all power embodied and displayed through love, through healing, through humility, through reaching out to bring others up. And that is our example. So this morning, let us be reminded of our example and let us celebrate and give thanks that this reaching out was extended to us. Amen. So whoever has our psalm reading, could you please lead us this morning? Sure. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them, full of honor and majesty in his work, and his righteousness endures forever. I will, I will give, give thanks, thanks to, to the Lord, Lord with my whole heart. heart. He has gained renown for his wonderful deeds. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He is ever mindful of his covenant. He has shown his people the power of his works and given them the heritage of the nations. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. I will, I will give thanks to the Lord, Lord with my whole heart. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. I will, I will give, give thanks, thanks to the Lord, Lord with my whole heart. heart. Mr. Joshua? Good morning, church. Good morning. I'll be reading from the first book of Corinthians, chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. Now concerning food sacrifice to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge puffed up. And we, but love builds up. Anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge. But anyone who loves God is known by him. <laughs> As to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that no idol and the world really exists, and that there is no God but one. Indeed, even though there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as in fact, there are many gods and many idols, many lords and stuff. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist. The one Lord, Jesus Christ, from whom all things and for whom we exist. It is not everyone, however, who has this knowledge. The song has become so accustomed to idols until now, they still think of the food that they eat as food offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak as a father. Food will not bring us close to God, but no worse off we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a 
stone and rock to the weak, or if others see you who possess who possess knowledge, even in the temple of an idol, might they not, since the conscience is weak, be encouraged to point out to point out eating food sacrificed to idols? For by your knowledge, those weak believers for whom Christ died are destroyed. When you thus sin against members of your family and wound their conscience, when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food is the cause of your falling, I will never eat meat, so that I may not cause one of them to fall. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Mark 1, 21 through 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue in time. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing in him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Please pray with us. Faithful and holy Lord, your saving deeds throughout history have filled human hearts with hope and mouths with grace. Your breath gives life to our bodies. Your word gives direction to our lives. Your dwelling among us is our redemption and our joy. But we abuse and misuse the gifts you give, twisting your knowledge and freedom into control and conceit. Wasting our lives as if we existed for ourselves, claiming your authority as power of our own. Forgive our blindness and our hubris, O Lord. Open our eyes to see the wonder of your working, that we may give thanks to you with all of our hearts. Brothers and sisters, believe and have hope. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He is ever mindful of his covenant. He sent redemption to his people. Through him you are forgiven, you are welcome, you are loved. Let us rejoice together and give praise to the Lord. Holy and awesome is his name. Holy, Holy and, and awesome, awesome God, God, your, your son's authority, authority is found in integrity and, and living truth, truth not the assertion of power, power over others. others. Open our imaginations to new dimensions of your love and heal us of all that severs us from you and one another, that we may grow into the vision you unfold before us. Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. As we enter into a time of worship this morning, uh, if you're able to stand join and sing, please do so. <laughs>
we pray that you would help us to listen, that you would dwell in our hearts, that you would send your spirit into this place and speak through your word this morning. We ask these things in your name. Amen. 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 Y'all can be seated. As parents have the option of bringing their kids upstairs for childcare, uh, would everybody else please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. This is the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament, chapter 4. Um, same passage that we read last week and just focusing on a different part of the passage. If you raise your hand, if you want to use one of our Bibles, uh, someone will bring a Bible to you. Uh, and actually, if you'll read it, you are welcome to keep that. Um, we're going to move quickly this morning. I, uh, I know we usually do a bunch of review and things like that. I have tried to fit probably far too much into the sermon, and I will apologize, Lewis, on the front end. I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, we are continuing a series this morning talking about spiritual gifts within the body of the church. Giving gifts is one of the major ways that we love each other as people. Uh, my hope in this series, largely what I'm wanting you to take away, as we talk through spiritual and other gifts, I'm hoping you'll take away an understanding of what it looks like to love each other, practically, in Christianity. Because I think all too often we forget and we confuse love for things like agreement or comfort. We started this series looking through the history of the Spirit's work in the people of God. The Spirit of God has been empowering us all through the life of the people of God for a single end, God coming to dwell richly with his church, his bride. So often when we talk about spiritual gifts, we are so focused on what we are going to be able to do in the Spirit, in, the, in his power, uh, that we lose sight of what the Spirit is doing in us, what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in us, in our churches, in our cities, in our individual families and lives. God wants to dwell with us, filling us with life. Just as in creation, the Spirit of God filled the earth with abounding life. Last week, we talked about hospitality. How, to quote one pastor's wife and author, the gospel comes with a house key. And about how part of the Christian life is just opening up your home, your, your life to other people. Letting them in, both practically and through honesty, about the life that you actually live. The things you actually think. This whole sermon today is basically going to answer a single question. I'm going to ask it like this. What does it mean? We're talking about spiritual gifts, talking about living life in the Spirit. What does it mean to depend upon the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to depend upon the Holy Spirit? What does it look like practically to be led by the Spirit? Or could we ask the same question this way? Where do we end and the Holy Spirit of God begins. The answer involves a spiritual gift known as discernment and a strength forged in dependence. Let's read the passage today. If you will, please stand for the reading of God's word. Again, 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards 
of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Y'all can sit. Pray with me briefly. Father God, I pray as I always do. God, more this morning. God, just that we would be dependent on you. God, that whatever I say, what you administer to people's hearts and minds this morning would be your truth and your word. God, because we know your truth will set us free. And we desperately long to be free. We pray this in Jesus' name, so we know you hear us. Amen. I grew up in a Christian home, which means among the many things that that might entail, uh, as a child, during the summer, I attended Christian summer camps. I know many of you have never attended a Christian summer camp here in the quarter. We tend not to be a churchy bunch. Um, So now I will endeavor to describe to you what a Christian summer camp might be like, both the good and the bad. (laughs) The good is, camp was where your relationships with the church would go from seeing each other across the room to like really knowing each other, right? Really being in each other's lives. Uh, The good of Christian summer camp is knowing just through being still, pausing through your normal life for a week, knowing that he is God and you are a person. The good of Christian summer camp is the counselors who do everything they can to help you know God and deepen your faith. Uh, The good is time away bathed in scripture and biblical teaching, daily Bible study and worship, drawing near to God. There is a lot of good in spending a week of retreat with the Lord. The bad of Christian summer camp is, it's a little bit difficult to describe, but I I will attempt it. Uh, Think of the kind of coerced interactions of, for example, corporate team building retreats with icebreakers, trust falls, high ropes courses, planned activities all week long, but then blend it in your mind with the collective angst and teenage self-consciousness of, say, something like band camp. Um, And if, if in your mind you can combine those two things, you will come close to the bad side of Christian summer camp. Then, of course, imagine somehow in the midst of all of these planned activities, inevitably, you end up in bathing suits at some point, which just pours gasoline onto an already dumpster fire of hormones (laughs) going on. Um, That'll give you kind of the right idea. All of this results in a phenomenon known as Christian camp relationships. Many of us have experienced this. Uh, It may sound nice. Relationships are often nice. But again, camp relationships are decidedly part of the bad of Christian summer camp. I at one point was involved in a camp relationship, somehow completely apart from my own will in the matter. I was approached by a young lady at camp who informed me that God himself had determined that we be in a relationship I will admit to you this morning what I could not admit to her at the time, that I honestly did not recognize her. 
uh, in that I don't fully remember interacting with her before this conversation. But I do remember my not fully formed brain deciding what God has joined together. No man, especially not I, who is not yet fully a man, should separate. At one point, one of the camp counselors wrote a song that, that summer about Christian summer camp relationships. I do not remember all of the words, but I do specifically remember the chorus repeating over and over again. I prayed about it. You're the one. <laughs> anyway, we, uh, we held hands during worship service that night. We ate lunch together. Um, during the trust fall that day, she made sure I was one of the people catching her. You know, It was cute. I enjoyed it. So you can imagine my dismay. Later in the week, when we were going home, that she informed me that she had received yet another oracle of God himself, that the relationship, sadly, was over. Um, God had told her this time that we were done. It was either Katie or Emma. I was going to make up a name, but I figured genuinely not remembering her name might be about the same thing. Um... Anyway, the Lord apparently giveth and he taketh away. <laughs> but I remember, I remember that experience is really the first time I ever questioned a claim of spiritual discernment in my life. I will admit to you that upon reflection, I was skeptical that God had really ordained and then three, late, three days later dissolved this relationship. On the 15-passenger van ride home, as my brain was forming into one which would later preach sermons, and counsel people through actual, real relationships and problems um, and matters of discernment, which actually really affect their lives, I was thinking about what it actually means to be led by the Spirit of God. And I was thinking about where a person ends and where the Holy Spirit begins. Fast forward to me at 19 years old, walking about an hour back to where I was staying that summer on the shoulder of a road in Tennessee at 2 in the morning, because my girlfriend had left me at a coffee shop after an argument. I had been fighting for that relationship for years to keep it alive, to keep it together, to keep it healthy, fighting with everything I had. And that was the night I knew that it was over and I had failed. I remember praying and hearing from the Lord comfort, true comfort from the Lord that night, but also conviction that I had been striving on my own without the Lord for that relationship for about a year and a half. And he told me that I would never be strong enough, just me, to forge a marriage and a life with someone, no matter how badly I wanted it. And if I'm honest, no matter how badly I was afraid of being alone. And again, I was baffled by this question of where a person ends and where the spirit begins. How had I missed for so long something the spirit was saying to me? Fast forward to me at 25, I was helping to plan a church in uptown New Orleans, working probably 30 hours a week, unpaid for the church, plus seminary, plus my real job that actually paid me at a coffee shop, feeling burnt out, feeling disillusioned with what I thought life and ministry would feel like. I remember hearing the advice then over and over again, not to strive so hard, to rest in the spirit, to depend upon God in my daily life instead of on my talents and to work out of joy in him and in what he allows us to do alongside him. And I remember thinking about where a person ends and where the spirit begins and what it means to actually depend upon the spirit of God practically. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength 
that God supplies. It is good advice. It's good advice, but it's hard to take. It's really easy on one hand to put on a front of being spirit-led while really depending on your own skill. Depending on your own savvy, depending on your own effort. On the other hand, it's easy to blame your own decisions, your own thoughts, your own desires on the Holy Spirit. Hopefully you've asked these same questions in your life about what it means to depend upon the Spirit of God. What it means to discern His will in your life and hear His voice in the midst of the noise of falsehood in the world. As we try to answer some of these questions together this morning, I want to begin just with a plea. If you are here and you are questioning whether or not you have ever even tried to live life in pursuit of God, in pursuit of the Spirit, whether or not you know what it means to depend upon God in your life, I would tell you that finding life in Christ is like finding real life for the first time. And everything else is trash. Beginning to seek Him in a community of believers, like this church, is like beginning life again. Except this time you have a destination and meaning and purpose. In Christ, we find that our sins and flaws are deeper than we ever knew, but that we are more loved and welcomed than we ever thought possible. For those of us who are in Christ, longing to live our lives according to his leading, I want to start here. Discernment is a heavy weight. Discernment is a heavy weight. Discernment, meaning allowing the Spirit of God to speak into your life and thought, telling the difference between the Spirit of God and other spirits, or perhaps most difficult, discerning the Spirit of God apart from your own thoughts and desires. Discernment is a heavy weight. Be careful. If you try to use that gift against someone else, you will hurt them. Don't tell someone, God wants me to break up with you, Katie, when it was really you. <laughs> I meet a lot of people as a pastor have been hurt by people claiming to be speaking and acting for the Spirit when really they are speaking and acting from their own heart and from their own desires and from their own thoughts. You can't use discernment against people like that. You have to use discernment lovingly for other people. Amen. And then even if you're right, if you don't communicate in love with them, then you have failed. As Beatner writes, to preach the gospel is not just to tell the truth, but to tell the truth in love. And to tell the truth in love means to tell it with concern, not only for the truth that is being told, but with concern also for the people it is being told to. It's hard. There are a lot of Katie's in the world, uh, both in and out of Christian summer camps, who are willing, far too willing to tell you that they are speaking for God when the things that they are saying usually promote their own goals and preserve what they've already thought to be true. Yet most people I speak to seem to believe that discerning truth and direction in life is easy, which is another way to say they're depending not on God to know what is right, but on themselves. Because every time I've ever taught on spiritual gifts, I have had people approach me and tell me that they in fact have the spiritual gift of discernment. Literally every time I've taught. It is the gift everyone believes themselves to have. Now, some people really are discerning, but recognize, 
It's almost universal in American culture for people to be completely assured of their own opinions and that they are able to know what is right when they hear it. It's a hallmark of our time. It is the spirit of our age, but it is not the Holy Spirit. To be self-assured and consider the other side of a dividing line as either idiots or completely deluded. But the spirit of this age is not the Holy Spirit. Keep an eye on what we talked about two weeks ago and what Mag so beautifully put in the liturgy this morning, even in the songs. Spiritual gifts are meant to build each other up. Spiritual gifts are meant to serve each other and ultimately, as our passage says, to glorify the Lord. Look for the people carrying discernment, carrying it, instead of using it as a weapon. I'm always surprised by and grateful for humility and discernment when I see it by people actually willing to consider both sides and either change their minds or lead with love and humility and lovingly teach over a lifetime what they hope will build others up. When I look for the gift of discernment in people, I look for the weight. I look for a heaviness. I don't look for a person who's on Twitter spitting out or the one in church insisting on their own way, Paul tells us in the passage we read three weeks ago, love doesn't do that. I look for people who step into teaching positions more confident in Christ and his goodness to provide what we need into the, in the roles into which he calls us than they are confident in themselves and their abilities. I look for people who understand the teaching role in a church is one of service to the congregation to give them truth, to feed them, to give them truth, to set them free. I look for people who are intimidated even by the task of discernment, who feel the gravity of it because that weight in the end is the weight of glory, of actually experiencing God. To believe, on the other hand, that you have wrapped your mind around God is to believe in a smaller God than the God the Bible gives us. It's hard. It's hard to know as a Christian where you end and the Spirit begins. My prayer, I pray before every sermon, is real for me in my heart. I know I'm going to say some things that are not true when I preach. I know I'm going to make mistakes. What I'm hoping in the midst of all of my mistakes is that God will take what is good and use His truth to change your lives. And He is so faithful to do that. Change your lives, change the lives of the people around you in your circles as you bring the gospel to work out of the church into every aspect of your lives. Probably the best advice I can give you about spiritual gifts is to ask other people to help you find your gifting and your right role in your congregation. Don't try to decide for yourself what your role should be. Make it a conversation with someone that you trust to be wise. And the best advice I can give you about a sermon comes in two parts. One, question yourself. Not in the wishy-washy sort of way where you never even seem to come to a conclusion, but in a way where your faith seeks understanding, in a way where you know firmly that you do not know many things about the world and life. Two, as you're trying to hear from the Lord about something specific, like a relationship or like a job, know that there is more than one godly way forward in most situations. We tend to ask God to tell us where to go and what to do, like he's an overbearing parent 
But he's not. He's a good father. And oftentimes the Lord is speaking more to how we go and do whatever it is that we choose to do. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves in the strength that God supplies. To speak the oracles of God is to carry a heavy weight. And to serve in the strength God supplies is to be led into dependence upon him and upon your community. To serve in the strength God supplies is to be led into dependence upon him and upon your community. Strength as dependence probably seems a little bit contradictory. But everything I've known and experienced about life in the spirit teaches me that this is true. In the world, strength is independence. In the world, strength is making it on your own. Being able to accomplish whatever, in your view, needs to be accomplished. In, in the upside-down kingdom of God, though, strength is utter and complete dependence on the Spirit of God to move and work. And since the Spirit gives varied grace so that each member of the church makes up only a part of the body, dependence on the Spirit is dependence upon each other in a local body. Prayer is what first taught me this lesson. In the midst of church planning, in the midst of, of church planting, a planning meeting at the last church I served, really struggling to make ends meet while we tried to reach out to our neighborhood and build community within the church, we were having, a, again, a planning meeting on how to do all of these things and practical ins and outs. We were all on lunch break from work, you know, running out of time. And even as we were coming to the end, one of the pastors asked, even though we were not done with the discussion or the planning or anything we we're doing, one of the pastors asked if we could stop and pray. As I reflected on it later, from one perspective, it made no sense to stop and pray in that moment. There was more to do. If you're gonna have small, strong, if you're gonna have strong, small groups, you need to spend time finding or writing a solid curriculum. And if you're gonna have powerful preaching, you need to spend time reading and planning services, planning sermons. And if you're gonna run a solid outreach, you need to spend time in shops and parks and in conversation. But here's the thing, what one pastor remembered that we almost forgot in our eagerness and anxiety, if you're going to have life in any of it, if God is going to be in and through it, you're going to need the Spirit of God, which means prayer was the absolute most productive thing we could have done towards the ends we actually wanted to achieve. And when you think about it, a lot of Christianity is this way. You want to overthrow a powerful city? Have you tried marching around it and blowing trumpets? <laughs> you want to build a church that will change the world? Have you tried investing in 12 nobodies from nowhere? It doesn't make sense until the spirit moves. In the kind of upside-down way that we often encounter in God's kingdom, the strength that God supplies makes you as an individual a little bit weaker. Serving by the strength God supplies doesn't usually look like you going beyond your capacity and doing way more than really any human should do. That makes you look impressive, but it does very little to build up a church. Serving by the strength God supplies looks like prayer. It looks like delegation. It looks like lifting other people up to serve alongside you. It looks like feasting and fasting and rest. 
It looks like the joy of finding the place your gifts and abilities really align with the needs of the church and serving in a lane that benefits the whole group. The strength that God supplies doesn't make you Superman. Instead, it makes less of you and gives glory to God. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The invitation this morning is into a life lived in dependence on the Spirit and on those around us. And as Adam comes to lead us in response, I would invite you into a strength found in weakness, into a discernment which convinces you of how little you know before it convinces you of anything else, and through these things into a life lived in joy and rest in him. Pray with me. Father God, may we learn through paradox this morning, God. Both that the valley is a place of vision, God, that your strength is a weakness in us. God, it's a glorying in your grace rather than our abilities. God, may we become ever and even more dependent upon you. God, as a church, as individuals, as a community, Lord, bring us to a place where we see that our value is found not in what we're able to do or the power that we have, God, but our value is found in the way that you value us. God, our worth is found in you. God, I pray just for each and every person in this room, Lord, that you would use your truth in their lives and hearts to set them free, set them free of expectation, set them free of constant striving to be good enough, God. Set them free to know that they are welcomed and loved in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The volunteers come up. Lewis, anybody else? I think I'm one shy. Somebody want to hold bread or juice? Go ahead, Tom. Yeah. And come when you're ready. Lord's table where all are welcome.